so stop listening to economists. They'll never get it right. See, so they'll their forecasts and things will completely mislead you. And so then if you get misled, you'll make poor decisions. So that's why I encourage uh, developers especially to understand um, land. And they're the natural people to do so because at the end of the day, it's what you buy your land for that determines much of your profit. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello and welcome to episode 108 of the show. How are you doing? Keeping well? Hopefully your projects are on track. I've got a terrific show coming up for you today with a great guest discussing a thought-provoking topic around property cycles and economics. Just before we get to that, here's what I've been up to. Sadly, the builder failed to achieve the practical completion date that they said they would achieve about a month ago and still have quite a bit to do to wrap things up. I reckon there's probably still four to six weeks worth of work to do. There's a bit of landscaping to be done, some touch-ups, and a whole bunch of just little things to do, as well as a couple of big rectification jobs. It's been an incredibly frustrating experience, this build, but we are pretty close to finishing, and it's certainly a better position than where I was a year ago with the builder stopping work. Anyway, I'm confident that we'll at least finish this year, which is going to be great. Now, after listening to today's episode, you might be fired up to get that property development dream underway and be ready to tap into what's ahead for the property markets. So if you are, then be sure to check out my property developer training. It's my signature program to show you everything you need to start and finish your first small-scale residential development project. Check out everything that's included in the training at www.propertydevelopertraining.com. Or if you want to find out how ready you are to become a property developer, then take the free quiz at propertydevelopertraining.com forward slash quiz and see what score you get. And finally, don't forget you can catch me on the socials under the handle of Property Developer Podcast. You can see all the latest from my sites and keep up with what I'm doing. All right, on to today's guest, Philip Anderson from Property Share Market Economics. Phil is the author of the book, The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking. He's also an investment analyst and an investor. Phil's book outlines a seemingly recurring economic cycle that takes around 18 years to complete and has a major impact on the property market. Understanding the rhythm and cycle of the market is obviously extremely beneficial to property developers. So I wanted to have this conversation to help you with your investing and developing. I think there are some great insights from Phil's work. In this conversation, we cover the 18-year real estate cycle and how it affects developers. Phil's thoughts on where we are in the current cycle and what's coming in the next few years and how to get set to maximise the potential opportunities that may be on the horizon. I really enjoyed speaking with Phil and I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation. I hope it sparks some interest and curiosity. I will preface it by saying nothing in this conversation is financial advice. You need to do your own research and investigation before making any investment decisions. Okay, let's get stuck right in by finding out what Phil would eat until he was sick. Chocolate, too much, already been sick. Um, no, no, I'm careful with diet now. Um, <laughs> I'm also largely vegetarian too, for very good reasons. Oh, yes. What are they? Uh, to improve my vibration level, help uh, understanding. Yeah, tell us more. That's a that's a gain thing. Uh, it's just a, uh, um, just a, and for moral reasons too, but um, uh, animals and things. But um, no, it's also uh, uh, important for health reasons. The older I get, very good. Yeah. I won't go into it, but no, that's, that's okay. a personal thing. No, understandable. Well, um, there's nothing wrong with eating healthy and being healthy. So. Uh, chocolates well, I think stuck on. I think uh, you know you know about uh, as I do as I'm 
well known for the real estate cycle, and I, I also I am a I have done uh, property development as well, so I'm familiar with the process. Um, I think I think when the real estate cycle, when we see the extreme in a couple of years' time, when it, once it turns down, I think we're going to get uh, very violent, exceeding violence. I think both in economies and uh, economics and monetary phenomenon, uh, it'll be so extreme. The debts are so high now. Uh, we're going to need good health, um, and it's important, becoming more important than ever now. Oh, that's good. You're that's getting ahead of the curve. Yes. Well, well, I don't know where to start now that you've mentioned that you've um, done some property development, but it, let's not start there. For people who don't know who you are, can you give us a bit of a background? You're kind of known as Mr. 18-year economic cycles, I guess, to most people, but um, let's wind the clock back a little bit, pardon the pun, and um, give us a bit of a background. Well, Anderson. yeah, it's um, it's funny, you know, my, my interest is in uh, stock markets and trading, and I've followed the works of W.T. Gann. Uh, I'm probably one of the few persons in the world that came to Gann and, and market timing from a real estate perspective. Um, but I have written my book, The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking. I have written that about real estate cycles, and um, that's primarily trying to understand 18.6-year real estate cycles. But that that began because I've always had a bent on economics. I did I did a lot of economics at school and then at university. I don't I don't, I don't really know why as such. It just took my interest. Um, and once I got into economics a little bit at school and then first to university, what I was what I was being taught at university and what I was reading simply did not accord. You you could not relate it to real life. And so I just I just remember myself making a pledge that um, I would get to the bottom of understanding why economists couldn't seem to get their forecasts right and why they didn't seem to have a clue about what was happening in the real world. You know, they made all these assumptions about about human humanity being rational and and would make the right decisions in the right circumstances. I mean, you know, as you know, and as I'm sure you know very well, I know that's the furthest from the truth. That you can never get. None of us are rational. We're always making decisions based on emotions and this and that. And the economics department didn't seem to have anything to do with it. And so, way back when, in the 1980s, I resolved that I would go travelling because I, I cashed in everything I owned, and I got a bit sick of work working for someone else. I cashed in everything I know I, I owned, and um, simply decided I'd go around the world. And I wasn't going to come back until I'd solved the questions I had with. Economics. I just wanted to see a bit of the world, and you know, people who've known me a long time, I sometimes tell a story that I got to India, and I was in New Delhi, and uh, I was late to get to the bank. And back in those days, it, in India at least, you know, if you wanted to get some money from a bank or cash a traveller's check, it would take you half the day. So I had to get there early, and I was in a New Delhi squat and uh, came bounding out of the the hostel I was in and um, went straight into the back of an elephant that was being paraded through the small streets of Delhi. And it put me into the gutter and I sat next to a emaciated man that was sitting under a barrel load of the most magnificent fruit I'd ever seen. And then it hit me, uh, if you're going to forecast economics, if you're going to forecast the world and what's going to happen, you have to know a little bit about land. And uh, that's really what began. And when I got back home to uh, Australia in 1987 or thereabouts, um, I started looking all about things, and I realised that economics knows nothing about it, uh, and that led me to studying land economics, and it led me to Fred Harrison, the power in the land, because it was now 1989-1990, and here was Melbourne especially. Uh, I don't know if you'd recall it, but if you're old enough to remember the 1991 downturn in Melbourne, it was really severe. You know, in unemployment was the... The, the statistic for government was at unemployment about 12%, but I can tell you it was probably way higher, uh, certainly in Melbourne, way higher than 15%. And by definition in economics, 15% unemployment is a depression, not just recession. And I was doing a bit of work back then, and and Paul Keating was was in the top chair. And, you know, they the government did some very smart things. They decided to take people off unemployment benefits and put them into training camps. And I was doing some work training people. And so that reduced unemployment even further, right? Smart from a government point of view, but cheating, really. 
Uh, and then one thing led to another, and I was given a copy of Fred Harrison's book, Power in the Land, and he wrote that in 1983, and he forecast in that book that the world, and especially the UK, because he was writing for UK stuff, by 1991, they would the, the world would be in the throes of a very, se- very severe recession. And lo and behold, I'm reading the book, and that's what happened. And Fred wrote that seven years in advance. That mightily impressed me. Now, I was working, doing some accounting work back then. I was also working in my father's business. And I read Fred's book, and I thought, you know, there's a business opportunity here. If I could set up my own small business and then correctly start forecasting uh, future economic activity, I could have, I could run my own business. And I sort of worked out by the time 1991 came along that I was basically unemployable as a, as a, you know, as a, as a staff member, right? So I just wanted to be in my own business, and that's what I've done since then. I've just been writing about economics and writing and building my subscriber base. And uh, I realised once Fred had done his book, The Power in the Land. Uh, he wrote about the UK. I realized that if I there was more money to be had in the US market, if I could if I could work out what US real estate cycles were doing, do a book on it, and then and then you know start talking about things, I could probably have a good business on my hands that I would would enable me to to do my own thing basically for the rest of my life. And very you know fortunately that's what I've been able to do. And when I put my book together, A Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking. You know, once I started writing, I did some research. Now, now, you know, Justin, you've got to understand this is pre-internet, right? Where this is this is back in the dinosaur years. Uh, I would have, if I wanted some information in the US book, I'd have to go to the Melbourne Library up there. You know, it used to be on top of Swanson Street. I'd have to go there. I'd have to request a book from the US. They'd send it to Australia. I'd sign for it, read the book in the library, and then I'd have to send it back, right? I mean, you know, it's just I just don't know how anything got done in those days, right? But eventually I put the information together. And one of the first books and pieces of information I came across, because in America they they keep statistics on absolutely everything, uh, fortunately, I was able to see some of the land sales going back to to uh, the very beginning in 1770, right through the 1800s and 1900s in the US. You just wouldn't believe it, but land sales in the United States peaked every 18 years. I mean, it was just astounding. And, and I realised then that... Um, in the US, you know, there's been there's been a lot of people write about one particular recession or depression in the United States, but absolutely nobody had written about all of them together and then linked them to do with um, real estate and land sales and and land value and and buying and selling of real estate. So I realised then I had to put that put that all together, and then you know, once I put my book out, you know, your your um your status goes up. Because because they know you've had a, an authentic book published, and that's not an easy thing, and people recognise that, and I've been grateful ever since. Um, the book, uh, if I may say so um, modestly, uh, a bit a bit ironic. The the book, my book, is now in the top twenty best selling all time banking books. Would you believe it? It's a book about real estate, but it's in the banking section, um, which goes to show you that just the lack of understanding about the land market. Right, so you know, so this is critical for uh, um, developers uh, because most developers uh, and most people in the market generally they only ever see land prices going one way, and that's upwards. And you know, the cycle shows clearly, and I've shown it in my book, and Fred showed it. The cycles generally um, fourteen years up, four down, and and it, the, the timing is absolutely crucial because, and it's. And when you get towards the end of each uh, real estate cycle, it's really easy to be to be over your head in debt because the banks are banks are um, trying to swamp you with money, and uh, it's really easy to be in the wrong way. And these are life defining decisions. You know, if you if you get in the wrong way and the economy tanks whilst you're heavily in debt, it can destroy everything. Just destroy family life, destroy everything. Right? And I, I'm uh, I have a I have a decent affinity with developers, if I may say, distinct from speculators, people who just you know speculate in a in a block of land or or land outside on the periphery of of Melbourne and and cities, right? They're they're, they're speculators as such. I don't see developers in that in that area. Developers generally trying to get good quality land and build a good quality building and or a house and get people living in there and and make a decent profit whilst they're doing it. 
um, developers are important in a in any economy, and it's important that they they get things right and make good decisions and be able to build good quality stuff for people, so that uh, we all can live in in uh, good circumstances where we want to. Very important, you know. And of course, every city today, as it ages, and in Melbourne, of course, there are there are in and Sydney too, and most other places, there are. You know, I'm thinking, saying just in Melbourne, you know, it's around say uh, Box Hill, going down to to you know right outwards to Mentone and all those other places. There are a lot of houses now that are that are that are dumps that that sit on a on a, a decent block that uh, really ought to be a better house. It ought to be more well-developed so that um, people live in high-quality housing that's got really good internet connections rather than the, than the, than the crap that a lot of people are familiar with. So, I, you know, I'm supportive of, of developers. I've done that myself. Yeah, so we're going to get to your property development. I'm, I'm very keen to hear about that. And that was the reason that I wanted to have this discussion with you around understanding the cycles because as a developer, you can then see when's a good time to plow in, when's a good time to pull back, uh, and yes. understand how those cycles work. Because you talk to most people and they'll say there's a seven-year cycle. Yes. Well, that's fair. Um, I'd break it down by seven years. That's fair. Um, it's just that uh, about every seventh year or so, we tend to get a bit of a mild recession. And then it's uh, when you get the next seven, the end of the next seventh year, so that's 14 years, two by seven, the, the 14th year or so, um, that that downturn tends to be land price-led. And that's the difference between um, between a downturn we might have seen in the last couple of years. Um, land prices don't collapse. But the next, the next downturn, land prices are due to decline. And that's what makes it more serious. So we're talking, say, 2008, uh, we're talking 1991, you know, 1974, um, and before that, you're going back towards 1955, and then back into the Great Depression, right? Which is which is not similar now that I, I wouldn't bring up, but certainly um, it's those it's those downturns that are led by the decline in land price, and I, I can't tell you why so much, but there clearly is that rhythm. Um, but it's important to suggest it's important to highlight as well the rhythm the rhythm is in the US. Uh, and it's the US that you have to watch. Now, I keep telling Australian audiences, um, you don't have to understand the US system. You've just got to watch what the US is doing. And that can give Australians quite a great advantage because, at least in the past, Australia's been about six to 12 months behind what happens in the US. And so certainly by 2008, when the US is having its downturn, things still hadn't moved a great deal in Australia. It gave the Australian government and participants a little bit of breathing space because the Australians could introduce the Australian government could introduce a few um, rescue saving measures that meant the downturn didn't have to be as severe, right? So, um, but I think for the next downturn, which is due after twenty twenty six, I don't think it's going to be easy, so easy to fix this time uh, in the US. So it's the US. The timing has to be watched in the US, not Australia. Usually, you know, Australia's got so much land that, that we, Australia could just keep expanding indefinitely uh, until America stops, right? So that's why I watch America, not Australia. Australia doesn't lead the real estate cycle. It's the US that leads. And now you've got involvement of China as well now. So uh, so we've got to take our cue from what happens in the US. And um, I can tell you at the moment, the US is going gangbusters. It really is. There's an enormous amount happening. Um, there are a few pockets of, of trouble, but uh, it's not enough to worry about yet. Um, and I think there's some very good years coming. So uh, that will give now developers, particularly in Australia, um, a good chance to to put their house in order, put their business in order over the next three or four years. Well, say say thirty to thirty six months. If the if the history of the real estate cycle is to repeat, you now need to put your house in order. Um, you need to you need to have your debts covered. Um, you need to be watching what happens and. You don't want to be in a position where the banks seek to get the utmost from you to, you know, to to uh, back your developments and everything else. It's a time now to be just. It's a time now to be just putting your your things in order. That that doesn't mean stopping work. It just means uh, it just means a little bit of uh, care when it comes to the debt. Just to quickly give a summary to somebody who hasn't read the book or understand the cycle. 
see if I can get it right. So let's start from the hangover, the the, the yes. recession or the depression that comes from the uh, the exuberance before, but we'll get to that. Yes. Start off with that slow recessionary period that lasts for sort of three or four years. Then you get a what six seven year run up to. Well, a- let me on on page on page three hundred and sixty of my book. I've got a clock, and that lists the activities that happen around the eighteen year cycle. So it's fourteen years up, four down. But out of the recession, out of the out of two thousand and eight two thousand nine, what happens? You you may I'm sure developers would understand this, but it's a little bit perverse or perverted for for some people who don't really getting in the market, um, what generally happens is the rents rise, okay, because people, there's usually the housing shortage, um, rents rise because demand for housing actually goes up despite the prices coming down a little bit. Um, And so we're talking residential at the moment. But once, after a couple of years of the downturn, once um, the the price of established buildings um, bottoms out or then begins to rise a little bit because because rents go up. Um, once eventually the process sorts itself out and the, the prices of established buildings start to rise, it then becomes cheaper to start to build. And so developers then who've survived the downturn, they start acquiring or accumulating or if they've been cashed up, they start buying cheap land. Um, it becomes starts to become profitable for them to build. So they start building. And once they do start building, that usually means the, the downturn's over and things start to become a little bit more profitable. There's always a bit of care about because people remember the prior downturn. But by that stage, we got into 2013, 2014, generally things start to go up. By that stage, stock markets have, have recovered, usually after about four years or so. Certainly US stock markets, they end up, they're back into all-time new highs. Confidence comes back. People are again making money because the stock market's going up. There's a bit more profit around. And so things have recovered and we start to forget what was happening in the past. Usually we get to about, you know, seven years in or so from about 2000, let's say 2010, 2011, 12. Then you get a little bit of a hiccup. Something normally happens that leads to a sort of like a mid-cycle crisis. Uh, that gives people pause for thought, but usually land prices don't decline. Now, in the past couple of years, this current cycle we're in, we had a pandemic. Um this was, you know, it was terribly difficult. Nobody could forecast that sort of stuff. Or well, whilst you could see as part of the real estate cycle, as part of the having just done seven years in, probably due a downturn, but certainly, you know, certainly least of all me was expecting that sort of uh, pandemic thing. So that that didn't make things easy. Um, it was certainly difficult for many developers, as I, as you can imagine. Um, but it's mid-cycle. Now it's mid-cycle, the land price doesn't decline. It also means that banks can do things and government can do things to alleviate the process. Normally, demand for real estate, demand for housing stays high. So you usually get a situation like we've got now when not enough houses have been built, demand is still existing and, and high. So so it kicks off it kicks off the second half of the real estate cycle, which is we are in now. And so uh, normally, as we go into the final stages of the real estate cycle, you know, the next three or four years, um, Things go usually if this if the cycle is to repeat, and I demonstrate this in my book, which I I do encourage your viewers to read. Um, it, we go into we start to go into high gear now. This is because uh, we've got new technology gets invented, AI. Um, things become exceedingly bullish. U.S. stock markets again hit all time new highs, which they've just done. That means that puts people into into decent profit. Banks. Very, very important. Banks start making profits again because their margin starts to spread, which means what they receive on a loan is less than what they pay for a de- is more than what they, sorry, what they receive uh, on um, on their loans uh, is or their, their interest rate differential um, is far more profitable. So as you've seen, I haven't explained that very well, but but banks start to make better profits because. Uh, because as interest rates go up, they start making more on their lending and they don't have to pay as much out for deposits. Um, so it it can be usually a profitable time. Once the banks start making more profits, they eventually will lend more, uh, as they'll start to do. And then, and you'll see this coming up, because uh, it does get a little bit more expensive with mortgages and things, 
and because there's usually a housing crisis by this stage or a rental accommodation crisis, governments and banks then have to start to be creative to find out how to get people to borrow more. And that kicks off the final stage of the real estate cycle. And this is what we're approaching now. And so I think it'll be a good time for developers. But again, just um, just be wary of, uh, of going 100% into debt at exactly the wrong time in a couple of years' time, which is when it's the easiest to do. I hope, to, I hope I've explained it all right. I hope that, that makes sense. But I, I do encourage, you know, the, the book's all there. Yeah, look, I've been reading your book at the moment and absolutely is uh, worth getting. I... It's eye-opening, right? It, it's just not, you know, the. I should mention as well, uh, Justin, you know, that um, economics has been corrupted. It really has. Uh, you know, I, I've got a book here. It's, it's, it's called the, the Corruption of Economics. Um, the, the topic of land, it, it was after the, between the First and Second World Wars, the topic of land was written completely out of economics. This was a conspiracy. It was deliberate. It, it's documented by Mason Gaffney and Fred Harrison in the book. I encourage, you know, you can get an ebook of that pretty much anywhere now on, uh, in, on Amazon or on the publisher's website. Um, so, there used to be three factors of production, land, labour and capital. Uh, into the Second World War, that was deliberately made into two, so land became capital. So you've got a situation today where not one, you know, where not one single economist in any economic institution will understand the role of land. And so they'll never be able to forecast accurately because at the end of the day, it is land and what we call economic rent and what I'm sure developers would understand as locational advantage um, economists don't know what that is. They see that as part of capital. So, so it it's just th- th- so stop listening to economists. They'll never get it right. See, so they'll th- their forecasts and things will completely mislead you. And so then, if you get misled, you'll make poor decisions. So that's why I encourage uh, developers, especially, to understand um, land, and they're the natural people to do so because at the end of the day, it's what you buy your land for that determines much of your profit. Uh, and you've got to get it in a in a decent location. And I, I also find, once you've read my book and Fred Harrison's book, you get a much better understanding of location and you get a much better understanding of where you should be buying to help you uh, attract people to your location, which at the end of the day increases the land value and helps you sell for more. I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty easy stuff at the end of the day, but so so many, so few people actually get to see it. Yeah, you definitely go through the law of economic rent in that book, and Fred. Yes, uh, and then your partner Akil. Is that? Yes, yeah, my co-director Akil Patel. Okay, yep. So he just also released a book last year that I read. Um, which... Yeah, he's done really well. He he he's taken my book and he's made it a bit more practical in the sense of describing what happens at every point uh, in the real estate cycle. He's broken that down into. Into on a yearly basis, the repeat is astounding. What do you, what do you call it? The secret wealth advantage, I think, was the book. That, that what he called it. Um, it's great. It's fantastic. Even I've learned stuff from it, though. And he, you know, he goes into he goes into economic rent and the laws and stuff and 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 things. Right, it, um, it's fabulous. So I encourage, I strongly encourage your viewers to uh, to get on it. They 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 won't read anything that's more valuable to to um, to their business than than understanding that and then of course you know listening to podcasts like yourself um who's you know in, in practice in the field um yeah it's uh, it's definitely useful yeah absolutely worth reading um all those books and i actually gave Akil's book to my dad for christmas nice <laughs> christmas nice yeah get stuck that's into good it. uh but yes i mean it, it, in simple, uh, simply speaking, the law of economic rent is just this idea that a piece of land um, should pay its way for improving in value. Which yes, yes. Lots of land well, it's you can price. see it. You can see it. It's it's very clearly demonstrated. I'll I'll never I'll always remember. You know when a when a uh, I think it was the the big issue. You know there were a couple of guys that wanted to help unemployed people or homeless people make some money. So they decided that they'd create a magazine called The Big Issue and then have the, the street kids and whatever sell it, right? But the street kids, being very street smart, 
they very quickly worked out that you can sell more of the big issue, say on the corner of Burke and Swanston, than you can if you go out to a suburb in Mentone and stand on a street corner and try and sell it there, right? So very quickly, the street the street guys worked out that the earlier they got up to claim their particular piece of uh, pavement where they could start to sell more, so for the same amount of effort, they got a higher return. That surplus return is what economists call economic rent. Developers would understand that as locational advantage. Well, it, very quickly, the street sellers started to resort, in, particularly in America, to guns and knives to protect the, the location that they were finding. Now, that, in a sense, in a nutshell, is exactly what's happening in in um, Ukraine, where the Russians invaded, because the Ukraine's got lots of um, resources, not to mention the ability to grow wheat and uh, all the minerals there, right? So it's just a, a bigger escalation of the same thing, chasing that something for nothing. Once you get to see that, I'm certain that developers, you'll make better decisions. The, the location, location, location is a property saying for a very good reason, Phil. Yes, and why people subscribe to me is because timing, timing, timing. You can still buy the best location on the planet and get and, and get in, but if, if you buy it exactly the peak of the cycle, you're done. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point that you make in the book is just knowing when not to uh, overcommit and be ready. That's correct. That's I correct. Everybody... I believe that's the secret. I believe that's the secret. You've just got to know when. Yes. You know there's a cycle. You know it hits a peak, but yes. I remember back in 2008 or 2009, when Melbourne was at its peak in the last cycle and it was so frothy. I just remember at the time there was just this pervasive sense that you, if you weren't buying property, you were missing out and yes. just this sense yes. that real like tangible FOMO that was all, yes. everywhere in society, all through yes. the papers and it was, you could just feel it and then, yeah, it, yes. it busted. Yes, after that. yes, yes. Well, I think that's coming again. My book details the timing, so does Akil's, and it's um, timing. It's really important this time. And I think this time is going to be even more critical, uh, talking about the US, not so much Australia perhaps. Um, uh, the debts are high now. Um, they're worrying even me. Uh, they're unprecedented in, in some ways. Uh, so I, it'll be it, it's worth knowing when to be prudent now. Definitely. And Australia will not be in a position, I don't think, any further at the end of the next cycle. I don't think China will be in a position to come to our rescue this time by being able to print lots of money and build stuff. And it was so beneficial to Australia right through 2010, 2011, you know, when China kept buying our commodities. This is not going to happen again. Um, you know, I also think if people panic a little bit about the US and their debts, this could be worrisome for the, for the value of the US dollar. You know, if people start to worry about the US dollar and you know the, its replacement or or stuff, this this is possibly uh, something to think through again as well. Um, you certainly won't want to be overcommitted at the end of the next cycle. Certainly not. But from my understanding and um, reading some of your work, we are entering into a second boom phase in the back half of the cycle. Which yes, I think there's. Uh, I think there's great. Yes, historically, could be. Yes, yes. No, I think the next few years will be really good. It'd be a great time to be a developer. I think the next few years. Um, just don't overcommit at the top. But historically, and again, I'm just making. I am making an assumption here that the cycle repeats as it always has. But you know, as you can read from my work at um, you know with, uh, with what I do currently. Um, I've been pretty good at forecasting the past 10 years. It's been pretty much spot on. I expect that to continue uh, as far as the real estate cycle repeats. Um, you know, I think uh, we're in for some very good um, couple of years and history suggests, and should that cycle repeat, that every, every cycle's been bigger than the one before it, at least into the top. And uh, there's no reason why that can't happen again. It's just... Massive, the changeover from combustion engines to electric vehicles. 
uh, that's going to change people's lives. It's massive with AI and what can happen. I would suggest in the next couple of years that practically every company is going to be have to, going to have to become a tech company. Uh, the things they're going to be able to do that'll be extremely productive for quite a for for several years. But if when land price does turn down at the end of the cycle, then um, that's when everything goes into reverse, and so uh, that's when you're just going to have to have your wits about you. And if you've studied history, and all the history is in my book, you you will I can guarantee you after you read my book, you will be able to have a rough idea of what's coming next because it's all in the clock. It's just everything's been going like clockwork since 2008 since I released the book. And developers have a great advantage there because they get to see it on the ground. Um, so I'm, I'm amazed sometimes they don't they don't uh, they don't get it as quick as they do as they ought to. Yeah, and that was something I wanted to ask you. Just uh, it's not doesn't seem to be so well known this 18 year cycle. And what's your thinking behind that? Why why don't people know about it? You're quite right. You're quite right. Um, it's funny, you know, I get a number of my subscribers practically almost always the first thing they say to me having subscribed, they say, Phil, I wish I'd seen your material 15 years ago. It's always practically the first thing they say, right? I've noticed that quite a number of my subscribers, they come to me last. They seem to have to go through everything else first to prove to everything else that it doesn't work. Then they get to me. I can also tell you that the 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 ownership of well you would in in in, a, in layman's term you'd say the ownership of land but it it isn't really the ownership of land it's the ownership of what the land generates so it's the ownership of the economic rent it's it's the ownership of the locational value um, and as I'm you know most people most people in the game would know you don't actually have to own the piece of land outright it doesn't have to be yours it can be mortgaged to a bank. What you've got to have at the end of the day is not necessarily the title, but the claim on, but the claim on the title, which is the collection of that um, that uh, economic rent. Um, that's what you've that's what you've what you've got to have. Now, the the claim on that, or the ownership, mostly the ownership of that in in large pieces of land can actually bring a lot of power. And so if you look at the UK, the House of Lords, right, which is the ultimate power base, the largest landowners in the UK sit in that house. And if they don't like a piece of legislation coming through, it doesn't get passed because they own the land. And so ownership of land can bring with it quite substantial power. Those people, um, they don't want that power jeopardised. So at the end of the day, what I do isn't really economics, it's politics. And you can see the same the, the same goes in the US. I mean, um, heck, uh, America's first president, president number one, George Washington, he was at the time America's largest landowner. Now you look at the current, the, the prior president, Mr. Trump, and vying again to become president uh, again, uh, he's a real estate developer. And the first thing he did in, the first thing he did as president was to lower the taxes on real estate. This is the power base. And so, uh, again, um, some of this economic information, the, the powers that be, they don't want you to know this. And so it was deliberately written out of economics. And that's why um, that's why I urge people to get behind the situation and understand the land. And once you've, once you've worked out why this isn't taught at university, you work out what it is you've got to understand because it's a it's it's um it's power it's power play really um and it's just it's really important and so now uh, as you can see the prior president in the US he established a space force a military space force why does he do that because he wants the US to get to the moon and the asteroids and to to be able to mine those things the US will not be able to mine that without it being backed up militarily Hence, he needs a space force to back up the ownership and the claim that Elon Musk and other space miners will eventually have to those resources. And that's the game. If you can see that, you're halfway on your way to be able to time that process. Because at the end of the day, I think timing is more important than the location. But of course, you know, location is important as well. But that's just that's just where I come from. Yeah, and basically, the theory is that 
it's the extraction of the economic rent that then causes the fluctuations in the economy that and the boom and the bust of the big yes. peaks and the big exactly right it's the extraction it's the it's the it's the chasing of that economic rent the location of value that causes the cycle but the height of the real estate boom and then the the depth of the bust that's determined by just how much credit gets created by the banks and certainly at the moment and history shows you that um, there's always a demand for credit and often the higher land prices go, the bigger the demand for credit. Uh, banks love land prices going higher. It means they can lend more, more demand, um, and that that determines how high the the, the extreme will be. And um, you know, with the, the move of interest rates back upwards to their normal position, they're not high by any standards historically speaking. They're higher now because it does give trouble to people already um, borrowing highly. But uh, the 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 higher they go, the, the more creative the banks have to get to get people to borrow money. Um, and so they, they do get creative and come up with all these schemes. So now you're seeing the home loans or no deposit home loans and things now that's starting to happen. Um, the governments want to get reelected. They have to cater to the housing market. They have to make it easier for people to get on the market. Um, and as I'm, as I'm sure you'd be aware, once the government creates a scheme, so I don't know, a home buyer scheme or a giveaway 20K to new home buyers, that capitalizes immediately into locational value. And, you know, that leads us into the end of the cycle. So it, it's coming. Yeah, well, I think the Australian federal government will be looking at the levers that they can pull at the moment because they're not looking so good in the polls. And yes, Minister Albanese doesn't want to be a once. Yes, so that's correct. And if he doesn't suggest something, the opposition will. So yep. to get elected, pressure. Yeah, with a federal election in the next 12 months, you can bet your bottom dollar there's going to be uh, lots of ideas thrown around by the federal government to give to homeowners or property. Giveaways. Well, it's your money, not theirs, you see, so they don't care. Yes, yep. Um, I know that so in some of these books there's um, the concept that if you didn't have this economic rent being extracted, you wouldn't get the booms and the busts. And so, and the wealth would be shared across the community. I think the Victorian government seems to have taken that to heart because they've been putting in place all sorts of property and land taxes to try and uh, do their own extraction of rent. Is that in response to that? And is that something that's fair for the community? Well, it's a good, Justin, it's a good question. Um, there's, my answer has two parts there. First up, uh, I consider it unfair in the sense that you cannot you cannot increase the land taxes if you also increases increase the taxes on ordinary working people. Um, they you both will end up bankrupt, bankrupting the economy. Um, what I favour myself, which I've been which I've been putting out from time to time, is a, a slight shift in the base to actually to actually. Um, uh, raise revenue more from resources and tax people less. So if I was the Prime Minister, um, I would tax a little bit more heavily the rent resource companies and I would completely eliminate income tax. That's, that's the, that, would, that would be my first policy if I was ever elected, which is highly unlikely, but um, that's what I would do. So I would make it far easier for working-class people to actually get more money in their pocket um, so they could afford things, which I think would make everybody better off. Um, in return for the no for the for the no taxes on their income, I would have a slightly higher tax base on land and resources. That would be my thing. Now, if you took that to the extreme, which uh, is a policy I favour because I detest government, um, I would abolish all taxes what completely, and I would I would also abolish most politicians and government activity. And then just replace it with the collection of the economic rent for society, right? Now I know this is an extreme position, probably, and I'm more libertarian than others. But if you if you carry through the knowledge in my book and Arpil's book, if you carry it through, uh, you can see you can see the logic of where that goes. And if you ever did that, the actual the first person to benefit would be developers, small developers. Because uh, the demand would go through the roof for people's improvement, living conditions, and everything else, right? Um, so I 
would see that as a benefit, really. But of course, I understand. You know, this, um, the the most hated tax in the world is the land tax, rightfully so, because uh, governments are trying to tax everything else at the same time, and it's unfair. It's unfair in the extreme. Um, um, so whilst I support a changeover of position, uh, if you're going to tax one, you've got to untax the other, and that's what they. That's what governments don't do. They're always searching for more and more money to spend more and more stuff, right? And uh, um, it's manifest. All it's doing is just growing the size of government, and that's not going to solve any. That's not going to solve any issues at all. It just makes things more complicated. Because my my rule number one in an economic sense, uh, talking about the the Federal Reserve, the Fed's always behind the curve. But my rule number two is, governments at all times will make things worse. It's just it's just that's just what happens. And so you know, hence my position of trying to phase out government as such but that's a political question it's not an economic question and i don't i don't dwell on that but um i do urge people who read my book and others that if they subscribe to try and understand that position because i i explain it to them in that way because i think it will make them better investors and and that's that's basically the emphasis behind my service it's not about trying to sprout political systems it's about trying to make my subscribers the best possible investor that they can be and Step number one to do that is to understand what rec- economic rent is or location or value as such. Because at the end of the day, the, the stock market's built on it as well. Banks, the banks, banks have worked out how to monetize the economic rent. Mining companies, they've worked out how to extract it. And uh, 50% of the Australian market's built on it. Yeah, speaking of uh, taxes, a classic example of that in Australia was the federal government had the luxury car tax that they had to so to protect the local car industry. <sighs> and then once all the, I don't know if you remember, all the local manufacturers shut up shop and but suddenly we yeah. still have we, we still have that tax in place. Yes. Even though we yes, have no yes. industry. Yeah, I think there's about 150 separate taxes in Australia now. It's just ludicrous, you know. It's just, it's it's just so difficult now for small business, you know, to 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 um to 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 start up. I mean, it's even worse in some other places, of course. Um, but it's a great shame, you know. The politics just getting making the situation more and more difficult for everybody. Just um just should make it easier for people to start and create businesses. The number one important business is is uh, is proper land developers. And proper builders, um, regulated, sure, but make sure that a good job is done. No corners cut, but but um, it's really important that um, people live in high quality amenities, well produced, well built, so they can live well um, and improve the circumstances in, in which they're in. I just don't think there's anything more important, really. Well, governments love development, property development, because it's got such an awesome multiplier effect. So you can spend yes. They can say they pump in one dollar and it produces ten dollars of yes, output. Yes. Which the problem is, of course, it it remained. Yeah, I agree. It just remained. I just wish they they just the the infill a bit of of Melbourne first before so much sprawl. But no, that's another topic, probably. Uh, one that's been discussed at length. Um, yes. But now that you touch on that, you mentioned you'd done some developing in the past. What have you? What what sort of stuff have you done? Yes, that, that's my that's my bent from a political sense. In the sense that I have, I hate seeing uh, vacant land in the middle of cities. Um, you know, I've been to some cities around the world where they're they're farming and we've got farm, rice farms and paddy fields in the middle of huge uh, where buildings ought to be. So I've made an effort over the years at various times to to buy up you know one or two small pieces of. Um, of uh, residential blocks and build a house and get somebody living there. Um, I can't say I'm the most successful person at it, but I've I've made money over the years. Uh, I did that in London the last decade and a half, more so than Australia. Um, it, but it just it's just that's just my thing, really. I like to, I don't like seeing large swathes of vacant land, I think people should be living there or buildings should be on it that actually produces something. I think that would be far more beneficial for society. Um, and I also, I hate, even more so than vacant land, I hate seeing derelict houses or derelict buildings. Um, I, th- I think it's it's immoral that there's people unemployed there or, you know, the people should be living there. And I can't talk so much about Australia. Australia does generally fairly well overall by world standards. But in, let's say, in, in Great Britain, um there are more than a million houses empty in, around the around the UK, 
you know, it's a lot of play, it's a lot of housing, a lot of housing, and there's so much um, uh, people living on the streets. It's not so bad at the moment, but it'll get worse as high, land price goes higher. Um, that's what I would fix first. You know, just uh, bring derelict and underused or vacant land back into production uh, to improve people's and, and society's living standards. It's important, and developers have a role in that. Yeah, and the government has an important role to play as well. I mean, they're the gateway into providing the supply, but they make it quite challenging to be able to get projects underway. Yes, which which at the end of the day also leads to corruption, which is a great shame. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Australia, particularly we're going through a significant period of immigration. We've got yes. building starts are down. And there seems to be a sort of build-up of demand that we're getting slow building starts and cost of money and cost of building is high. Does that change your view of what might happen specifically in Australia over the next two, three years? No, I think that's the real estate cycle in play. That's really what we ought to be seeing now. It's got to drive all of that. those events have to drive us into the peak of the real estate cycle. And so now we've got to get more building and it'll happen. And generally the overbuilding will happen right at the peak. You know, you'll probably see in the next couple of years somebody announce somewhere the world's tallest building, perhaps in Australia. You know, there'll be some great, huge development that comes out when, when credit's easier and almost at its easiest at the peak when banks have got a flash with money and develop comes, developer comes up with a grand scheme or a grand idea. Saudi Arabia, Middle East... The Dubai, they're doing some enormous projects. I think that'll feed off into other places. Um, you might even see the Emirates or uh, uh, Saudi Arabia developer come into Australia and say, now we've done our own stuff, we want to build something in Australia that'll be fantastic for Australia and this icon development, right? That happens here at the peak. Yeah, I just finished reading a book called Billionaire's Row last year. It was about the uh, some expensive towers in new york that were getting yeah. built or and as the frenzy came uh in 08 07 around then when yeah people were kind of Timing. building these huge towers and then the market collapsed and they're in big trouble yep. Yep. Timing. not finished yep i think we'll see a repeat but not yet a couple of years to go yet um I wanted to ask whether the US market in terms of the way they treat the mortgages over there, they have fixed rate mortgages over long periods of time, whether that smooths out their property market, doesn't seem to. Where's Australia? Uh, the, yeah, it's a good question. US is a little different. You know, Australians are tied to their mortgage much more so than in the United States. Uh, I don't... See, I don't claim I'm an expert in either market, but it is the ability to be more flexible in the United States that drives the market more high and lower. And uh, the United States also has a uh, a market called Wall Street that are specialists in delivering what the people want at even more speculative times and wall street's very good at packaging up stuff and so we'll see the same thing develop and that enables in the u.s to just drive markets that little bit higher and and further uh so in the u.s at the moment they're probably in a situation where there's quite, quite a number of um, people who hold those long-term uh mortgages that are at low rates uh, they they can't move. They can't they can't take out a new mortgage from the old one because things have changed. Circumstances changed such a bit, so they are in a sense locked into their old one. Slightly different in Australia, um, so it's a slight, it's again a slightly different market. But I think over the long term, it has a similar effect. It will drive the cycle. And what do you say to people who go? Prices are so expensive now. You, your eastern seaboard capitals. Property prices seem ridiculous. How can they go higher? How can we have a frenzy phase coming up? Well, I, I don't blame the question. In a, in a way, they're right to ask the question. But 
um, it's never about price. First, it's always about location, but even more important than that, it's about earnings. It's, it's, it's never about price. It's about earnings and future earnings. And so uh, from a bank's point of view, it's, it's they don't look at price. They look at what you can afford. And so if the banks and the government come up with more ingenious ways for people to have the ability to afford the price, then price has got nothing to do with it. So don't look at the price. You look at you look at what what can be afforded or methods in which people can the banks and the government can make it more affordable. So don't focusing on prices is um, is, uh, uh, is not necessarily the first thing you want to be looking at. Um, that's not to suggest that you shouldn't be like, say, Alan Bond years ago, where he knew the price of everything but the value of nothing. Um, you know, as a developer, you've got to see the value. But uh, it's not, you know, from a point of view of land price, it's not just about the land price as such or the price. It's about um, it's about how that price can be afforded so from a residential viewpoint and uh, from a commercial viewpoint, earnings. And then you factor in the interest rates and everything else, right? So, uh, yeah, you know, to those who ask about how, how prices can go higher, Oh, they can go a lot higher yet if creative ways can be found can be found to afford that price. And you know, we might end up with forty-year mortgages. We might end up with mortgages tied not only to the parents but to the kids. All sorts of things can happen yet to make that to to drive that jump. Yeah, and there'll be a huge transfer of wealth in the next fifteen twenty years as well as the boomers move along and pass on their yes. wealth to their children. There's a yes. stack of money there to get moved across. Yes, yes. That might drive Agreed. the next one. That could be a new book. Could be. <laughs> could be. Yeah, because you just talk to people and they're like, how can property prices go higher? You go, well, it's just about the availability of credit and how much yeah. money you can get. And that's what will drive it. You know, the same question was asked in 2003 and 2004. Same question was asked in 1983. Heck, you know, I remember buying my first house I paid an interest rate of 17.5% on a price of a house in Oakley that I think was 130000 You look back bloody cheap. You could <laughs> get a front door in Oakley for that money these days, Phil. No. Tell me. <laughs> so what's your advice then for developers that are sitting here listening, thinking, hmm, what should I be doing now? It's the time to jump in and start scooping up land and getting projects started. Oh, uh, get educated is is the thing I say. Uh, get educated about the cycle. Get educated in understanding earnings, and um, then go from there. Um, it's important to understand it. Get educated about timing, um, and then you know. Um, Understanding where earnings come from, land value. That's that's the most important. Yeah. Well, what's the saying? A rising tide lifts all boats. Yes, it does. It does. Indeed, it does. Covers up. You, you really you don't know how smart you are until the tide goes out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've seen that over the last couple of years, and then yeah, back yes. in two thousand and twelve, two thousand and thirteen was a bit like that. That's actually when I bought my. Yeah. First development site in 2013, right at the bottom of the market. Yeah. Good timing, see. No, no one wanted to buy it. I was able to look at it for months and months. It's just sad, yes. sad block of land that nobody wanted. Yes, interesting. I remember thinking about that as the market heated up and you were getting shorter and shorter periods of time to be able to look at a site. Yes. Could even yes. put an offer in, it was Yes, and of course, the the shorter time you've got, the more emotional the decision becomes, right? And you know, perhaps the, the third thing, not only not only learning about timing and earnings, but um, study of emotions. That would be that's important too, very important. You just you, you just don't want to get carried away uh, and become emotional with your developments and get attached and stuff. You know, end of the day, it is a it is a business. Uh, yeah, especially when there's that frothy, fervent period. It's that should that's when your alarm bell should be ringing loud and clear. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes you're in a bit deep by then. You're sort of committed, and you 
you got to, you feel like you have to yes. move forward. That's the only way to go. Yes. Yes. Anyway, um, what's the best piece of advice you have ever received, Phil? Perhaps it's not what I've ever received. It's perhaps what I experienced. Um, there are no friends in business. Uh, I think if I was to say there was one thing I learned, that would be it. Uh, business is business, and sometimes you you really do work out sometimes who your friends are. And uh, that's what I learned the most. I think you know I I already had I'd already worked out what I thought was the timing, and I I already from an accounting viewpoint I had. I understood valuation measures so I could apply accounting to it. So from my point of view, I'd always suggest uh, um, keep your friends out of your business. Actually, speaking of, fu of funds, didn't you set up your own investment fund to try and put your timing to the test? Yes, but not so much from a real estate point of view. Yes, I do contribute to a... Uh, a uh, Stock market fund that's run out of um, it's uh, run out of uh, Adelaide with a couple of friends of mine. Um, yeah, we're doing quite well, if I may say so. We um, you may say again, so. you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to um, sound like any other um, economist or forecaster. But uh, you know, people who follow me a few, for a few years, um, the number seven is very important every seventh year, and stock markets. The Dow in the US, they tank every seven years. So I knew I had a very good idea that the down move in 2022 was coming because it had been down in 2015 and down in 2008 and down in 2001, down in 1994, seven-year history, right? Same as real estate, but but slightly different years and timing, but they, they it all comes together. Um, and so, you know, our, our fund was able to sit 50% 50 in cash throughout 2022 and we were able to take up some good buying activity um, if anybody does end up subscribing to my service my what I do that's unique is I have put together both the real estate cycle and the stock market so I've often said that I think real estate people should understand a bit about the stock market because the stock market leads I've always also said that stock market people should understand a bit about real estate because it's real estate at the end of the day that drives the cycle and so if stock market people can see the peak in real estate, they'll know it's the peak in the stock market as well. And so these things, putting the two together, which I've done in my clock and in my book, uh, gives you an enormous advantage. So again, in 2023, uh, the cycles indicated that the bottom would be in March. I know for people who've never heard from me before, that's really hard to believe. Um, but that's what we're able to see simply based on some very simple cycles that aren't hard to learn. It's just a matter of... Um, knowing where to look, really. Um, and you do start with the 18.6-year real estate cycle. Real estate cycle, it's, it's the most important. Um, it's got the biggest driving force, and it's the best one to come to terms with for, with first, and then you can start adding a few layers to that um, within the 18.6 real estate cycle itself. So it's been great. You know, I've, I've, and I've, you know, over the years, I've met some tremendous people, some really interesting people over the years that helped me study this sort of stuff. My co-director, Arkeel, being one in particular, um, which has been fantastic. It's been great to be able to communicate with with um, so many interesting people. As you probably know yourself, there's really interesting people doing some really interesting things around the world. It's fantastic. Yes, one of the benefits of being the host of a podcast is you get to talk yes. to them, Phil. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. You know, it's great. And, uh, yeah, you see it. There really is some fantastic ideas out there for what people are doing. And even the way of you know being able to build better and uh, different ideas, the way to how to build and um, labour-saving devices and stuff, it's fantastic. Yeah, well, that's one thing that there needs to be some improvement on is the efficiency of how things get built because it's yes. slower and slower in Australia, not uh, faster and yes. faster. Yes, yeah, indeed. Well, I definitely recommend your book to people, The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking by Philip Anderson, definitely yeah, worth uh, grabbing a copy of that if you're in property, which the listeners of this show will be. 
Um, you've also got a website where people can sign up for info and you've got, uh, I think you've got a membership there for where you provide yes, yeah. insights. And... Just join our blog, Property Share Market Economics. The blog is free. Sign up to the blog. It's completely free. Um, only needs your email address, nothing else. And, you know, we don't, we're not going to flog stuff to you every single day. It's just, you know, we respect your your, your uh, address and stuff. We just send you a bit of information now and then. And if you like it, you can take it further. No, I've signed up for it and that is exactly right. You send really good stuff. <laughs> it's yes. really interesting reading. <laughs> yes. Like I really yes. Like you won't get it anywhere else, I'll tell you that much. No, it's true. It's funny you read these books and you go, hmm, how come I haven't read about this anywhere else? But yeah. bringing yes. it to you. So, uh, yes, do that. Get out. Go get a copy of the book. I also recommend people get Akil's book. Was it The Secret Wealth Effect? Yes, uh, the secret wealth advantage. Secret wealth advantage. That's also yeah. really good. So very practical, very practical yeah, book. It's good. Really, you're right. He does do a really good job of sort of breaking down the the mm. the day, the years. Sorry, the, all the segments of the cycle. Yeah. That's actually really. Good. I can tell you, if if a property developer in Australia picks up one of those two books, and if they've been in the game, if they've been in the game 20, 30 years, they're going to go like this. They're going to go. Yep, I saw that. Yep, I remember that. Yep. I was there. I saw it. Yeah. I, I just know from feedback. Yeah. That's when I did my shirt. <laughs> yep. That's when I had to sell my car. <laughs> yep. yep. That's when I, I bought the there. boat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Phil, anything else you want to mention to us before we wrap up and part ways? No, that's it. That's good. All right. Well, it's, it's been great, really thanks. fantastic uh, having you on the show. I think it's a really great way to start 2024 with a chat to you mm. about property market cycles and where we're headed. So I think there's a couple of really exciting years coming up for property development. Yeah. I've been Good. saying that myself for the last six to nine months. So um, hopefully people get on board and start putting in place the things that are going to let them reap the rewards of what's coming up. Yeah, yeah. All right, Phil, thanks for being on the Property thanks. Developer Podcast. You're welcome. Talk to you later. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.